the battle of prayer becomes easier when the Lord is fighting it for us. When we entrust our lives to Him, and He fights the battle of prayer with and in, in, in and through us. And your life changes because any relationship of trust changes when we take a deeper and more intimate step into that relationship. We, get, we receive more and we're able to give more out of that intimacy. And that intimacy also as we know in our human relationships, and this is the part that hurts, is it makes us vulnerable. And that vulnerability is, is so essential, that, that entrustment is so important because when we know we can trust the Lord, then we know we can be vulnerable with Him. And when we're vulnerable with Him, then we grow in intimacy. It's the only way we grow in intimacy. Ask anybody who's married, right? We only grow in intimacy when we're vulnerable and that allows us to go deeper. So after I came back from the conference, um, I still knew that the, the parish job I was working in was, was not really where the Lord had me long term. And I began to think, where, what in my life? But before I did that, I realized I have to start praying in the Spirit more. Um, and, I, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So I need to let the Spirit be leading my prayer um, more. So I began to ask the Spirit, like, what should I give to the Lord right now? And it became obvious, I wasn't happy with my job. So I was like, I'm gonna entrust my professional life to the Lord. And so every day after, I usually did it after mass, after a noon mass in my parish where I work, I just, that's what I gave the Lord. I'm just gonna to surrender to you my professional life. It wasn't a high risk thing, it wasn't my whole life really, although I wanted it to be but it was the most important thing in my life at that point, the thing that was giving me the most stress, the most anxiety. And so every day, just like, Lord, I'm gonna give you my professional life. I'm not happy right now. I'm gonna give this to you. You're gonna work it out. And um, about six months later, you know, the job popped up, director of campus ministry at my alma mater at the University of St. Francis. And the way the Lord just worked in that whole interview process just continues to, to blow me away. And so through that one act of just entrusting the one important thing in my life, I was vulnerable with the Lord and allowed, and our, just that relationship with the Lord just became more intimate and deeper. And then the last kind of fruit before I get to some practical things was as I entrusted myself more to the Lord and began to pray in the spirit and trust more in prayer to the Lord, the, um, I started to, to notice the charisms has anybody done called and gifted? Does anybody know what charisms are? Charisms, right, are those um, those individual uh, fruits or gifts that we are given in baptism for the proclamation of the gospel, for evangelization, to serve others. And so all of a sudden, I began to, to notice these fruits, if you will, these charisms present in my life. And I began to discern a couple, and um, one was pastoring or accompaniment, and another was uh, uh, knowledge. But the one that freaked me out the most was intercessory prayer. And the first time I realized this might be a charism was um, my wife and I, my wife Monica and I were in a, um, uh, a marriage enrichment ministry called Teams of Our Lady, in which we met with five other couples once a month for about three hours to talk, pray, 
discuss our lives. And, and earlier in that particular dinner, one of the couples, uh, they expressed that she was um, uh, struggling because she had epilepsy and they really wanted a child. She was really nervous and scared she wouldn't be able to get pregnant or wouldn't be able to safely carry a pregnancy. And there's a time in the Teams of Our Lady, it's a, it's a format at night, where there's intercessory prayer, and I just heard this voice say, pray that she gets pregnant. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that, that's weird. And uh, then she said, the voice was like, pray out loud, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a good Catholic, we don't do that. And so, um, finally it was like so persistent, I just like, fine, I'll just pray it under my breath. I prayed it under my breath. Two months later, they came back, she was pregnant. I was like, oh, maybe there's something to this. And then just another quick story. Um, I lived, uh, we were in Houston during Hurricane Harvey. And about two days in, you know, the, you know, remember Hurricane Harvey or saw it on the news, this, the city of Houston just got rain dumped on it day after day after day after day. It, it was like, it's the closest thing I could think of. The, the Noah's Ark story became very real, let's put it that way. Thankfully, we, our area of, we lived on the like the slightly higher point in in Houston. So I didn't flood so much. The high ground. Yeah, there's it not much high ground there, but we were we were in the only thing left. And anyway, um, again, I was sitting in my bed one night and I was like, "Go outside and tell the storms to go off to sea." Well, that's bold. <laughs> Where did that idea come from? And um, again, I just like sat and wrestled with this thing for like maybe an hour or two. Not doing it, I live in an apartment, I'm not gonna go out in the courtyard, people might see me. Um, I actually heard very specifically, put your hands in the air. Okay. Um, so finally I was like, all right, fine, 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 I'll do it. And um, not wanting to look like an idiot to my wife, I just walked outside right past her and didn't tell her actually for like months afterwards. She was like, I was wondering what you were doing out there. <laughs> And I just, just like just prayed for the storm to go back out to sea. Now, I, I don't take credit for that one, right? But um, clearly the Lord, I think, asked me to intercede in some, in some way in that moment. And so, um, you know, I just kind of, now I'm just more attentive to listening to the Lord uh, and hearing his voice. And, and I'll give you a little tip on that um, in a second. But really just, once you start to read the Gospels more, that's the other thing I started to do, just systematically reading through the scriptures, is you get to learn the Lord's voice by reading the Gospels. You get to learn his mannerisms and his affect, um, all those things that make him who he is. And so when you begin to hear promptings in your heart, um, you, can, you can compare them against the Jesus of the Gospels. So it's, okay, that sounds like something Jesus would say in the Gospels. I can trust it. I can act on it. Or that doesn't. That might that might be you know the enemy's voice or my own sinfulness or you know the lunch that didn't sit quite right with me. But the scriptures are so important for being able to discern the Lord because we just read it over and over again. Just go back once you're done. Go back. Go back to the Gospels and just learn the Lord's voice. Um, and, um, it'll change your life. Um, I want to go through a quick, some quick principles of prayer, hopefully to make this a little bit practical. 
So the first thing I want to say about prayer, um, more specifically here, is, is prayer is a response to being loved by God. It's not an initiative we take. Um, it's the, always the Lord's initiative first. So Thomas Aquinas has a great line about this. He, he, um, when he was asked, why was it necessary for Jesus to die on the cross? His response in part was, so that seeing how much he loved us, we may be stirred to love him in return. And, and fundamentally in prayer, a priest friend of mine um, likes to say, prayer in part is letting the Lord love on you. So we, we have to receive prayer first as a gift, is the way the Lord loves on us, and then the second movement of prayer is our response to it. So um, I want to point this out, even in the the theme of this the series, Acts 2.42, the, the, the four pillars in that series that are mentioned in the early life of the Christians in Acts 2.42 are the four pillars of the catechism. And the way the catechism is set up is very intentional. Um, you don't have to, to know the catechism to, to get this. Um, it has four sections. The first is on the creed. The second is on the sacraments. The celebrating the Christian mystery is called. The third is life in Christ, which is on the moral life. And the fourth section is on prayer. So the easy way to remember this is the first two things we study in the catechism are what God has done for us. So God has done for us, this, the creed describes, the creed describes what God has done for us. The second is what he has done and is doing for us in and through the sacraments, which is a continuation of the creed. And then, parts three and four are our response to what God has done for us. The way we conduct our lives, the way we, we grow in virtue, and our life of prayer. So prayer is it, built into the way the church wants to catechize us, to form us in the faith. Prayer and our moral life are a response first to what God has done for us. The second point I already mentioned is, is our principle is, we want to, when we pray, we want to pray in the Spirit. St. Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 26 through 27, the Spirit comes, we, we read this in, the, in Sunday recently, the Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. So very practically, um, whenever you pray, whether it's to sit down and do 15 minutes of mental prayer before you read the scriptures, if you're praying throughout the day, start your prayer with come Holy Spirit. Uh, invite the Holy Spirit into that time of prayer and invite him to speak in and through you. And one of the things that, one of the fruits of doing this in my own personal experience has been um, sometimes I find that the Holy Spirit edits or revises what I'm praying for. And sometimes it's as subtle as like, I'm asking for something, and he just gives me a word change. That just changes everything about what I'm asking. Um, and it's, it's powerful because, I, again, I know it's from the Lord because it sounds like his voice. And it's always much better than what I think I, I need to pray for. It's always much more fruitful that way. The Catechism also says, in, in this regard, um, that it's, it's actually not the Spirit who speaks in prayer to us. 
the spirit is detected in and cause the movement um, but it's it's actually Jesus's word that the spirit allows to speak to us so the catechism says now God's spirit who reveals God makes known to us Christ his word his living utterance but the spirit does not speak of himself the spirit who has spoken through the prophets makes us hear the father's word is Jesus but we do not hear the spirit himself we know him only in the movement by which he reveals the word to us and disposes us to welcome him in faith the spirit of truth who unveils Christ to us in this quoting scripture will not speak on his own so the, the Holy Spirit um, always always brings Christ's word to us the word of the Father and so prayer, when you start with the Spirit, is always finally Trinitarian because the Spirit always reveals the Word to us and takes us to the Father. The third principle is, is prayer always has to be rooted in humility. And there's two fruits of humility that, that I've been able to identify. I'm sure there's a lot more. But the two fruits of humility for me are, and humility means to stay close to the ground, that's its place. Um, and the, the two things are gratitude, the two fruits of humility are gratitude and dependence. Gratitude and dependence. And so one of the things is I began to experience prayer after this conversion experience I had was, um, that my eyes began to be more and more open to what um, the Lord's gifts in my life. The things that I had taken for granted, the things that I thought I were owed, they're still there, but they began to recede. And I began to find myself move more and more to, to gratitude. One of my heroes is um, Dorothy Day, who I hope will be a saint one day. And um, I'm going to pull up a share a quote for, for her, from her. Dorothy Day, for you who don't know, was a social activist. She was a former communist and socialist um, who um, had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And um, she, she initially had an abortion uh, with her first pregnancy, and the second preg pregnancy she said bring to term. And the guy she was with completely abandoned her because, you know, free love and all that. And uh, it was, you know, socialists don't want to be tied down when they're out. As I often felt after the birth of my child, with this came the need to worship and adore. And so that, that's one of the fruits of her, her start to movement into the Catholic Church is she recognized she was she needed to be grateful her attitude a disposition was one of gratitude and that led her into worship and then the second um toward the end of her life um she was asked she she's written a book called the long loneliness early on in her her conversion experience and her friend um a psychologist from harvard named robert coles who's written a, i recommend him, him uh, he's written a lot of catholic literary figures uh, Robert Coles asked her, why don't you write a, another memoir to cover the second part of your life? And this was her response. I try to think back. I try to remember this life that the Lord gave me. The other day I wrote down the words, a life remembered. And I was going to try to make a summary for myself, write what mattered most, but I couldn't do it. I just sat there and thought of our Lord and his visit to us all those centuries ago. And I said to myself that my great luck was to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. And, and after a life of a lot of tumults, living amongst the poorest of the poor, 
that that's her surrender to the gratitude of the Lord's favor upon her. And so gratitude is an important part of humility and prayer. When we cultivate that humility, our, our eyes are open to those things in life that we've not earned, those things that are gifts. Humility is the second fruit I mentioned. It, humility also, um, sorry, not humility, dependence. Because humility opens the door to our weakness. It makes us realize in what ways we are dependent upon the Lord for everything. All is a gift. All is grace. And so we recognize that we cannot, not only can we not be saved on our own, but we can kind of barely flourish in life on our own without the Lord's love being poured in, into us. This is why we go to the sacraments. This is why we have recourse to confession um, and the great treasury of the life of the church is because we're dependent. We cannot, we cannot do this on our own. St. Thomas Aquinas, again, he once said that we could probably reason ourselves to, to know that God existed um, and even maybe a Trinitarian God, but we'd have to spend every moment of every day of our life to do that. And so the Lord, he comes into our life to reveal himself to us and to reveal our dependence on him. And so our dependence on the Lord leads us to ask more boldly because it is the beggar, the one who is most dependent, who asks most boldly. Father Luigi Giussani, who's a servant of God right now, his cause is open, an Italian priest who found the communion liberation, said the, 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 the true protagonist in history is the beggar. It is Christ whose heart begs for man and man whose heart begs for Christ. And so I encourage you as a principle to be bold in your prayer, to be bold in what you ask the Lord, um, in the Spirit, of course, because the Spirit is going to make sure it's not just you asking this, but out of your lowliness and your dependence on him. I think we often ask too little of the Lord, actually. We don't ask enough of him. And, and it, one of the fruits of my conversion experience is I started to ask for bigger um, things, not for myself, but out of that, that state of dependence on him. Because in reality, I'm a bit of a screw up. And um, when I'm left to my own devices, uh, the Lord is, is far from me. Um, the more I recognize my own dependence, the more I have to turn to him. I'll just share this quickly. This is recently, um, I, I, we're looking at a semester like none other in higher education, or at least not in, in my lifetime. And um, I don't know how I'm going to do ministry at the university this year. I don't know what it looks like to wear a mask when you do ministry, try to meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know what it's like to not have a building possibly teeming with students. I don't, I, I hate the concept that we might have to go back online at some point, if this gets worse. And um, I was praying the other day, and another friend who works at the university was also sharing his desperation. And it just occurred to me, it's like, Lord, this is your opportunity to shine through our weakness. Because if any good comes out of the semester, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because you're working. So uh, another principle is that, um, kind of alluded to this already, prayer is always a gift from God. We don't earn the graces of prayer through any formulas or striving. They are always consolations that the Lord gives to us. St. Ignatius of Loyola says one of, the, one of the reasons we experience desolation in our prayer 
um, and we, we lose the experience of, of feeling consoled when we pray is because we begin to think that the consolations are through the things that we've done and not from the Lord. The, the consolations are utterly the Lord's gift to us. Um, and so sometimes the Lord has to teach us by putting us in states of desolation in our prayer um, to, to rely more on him in prayer. I want to read you um, from John chapter 15 because I think this, this illustrates this, this prayer as a gift from God. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He takes every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And everyone that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. I, about a year ago, I spent probably six months with this passage. I tried to move on from other things, and this passage just keeps like inviting me back. To... So, I think it's clear in the analogy here that to receive prayer as a gift is to like like the branch to abide in Jesus, the true vine, the source of nourishment from the soil, the source of of life. And this this intimacy with Je this this abiding with Jesus leads to that greater intimacy that I spoke of. But it also allows the Father to nourish and sustain us through his relationship with Christ. So we just want to kind of, we, it might be even helpful to, in your prayer to, to think about yourself just as a vine, right? As, as someone abiding in the Lord. Another image from John's Gospel is John, the, who calls himself the beloved disciple, leans on the, the bosom of the Father. And early, uh, sorry, the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. It's a symbol of the intimacy that the beloved disciple, who is also you and I, has with Jesus. And the same, the same term uh, is used at the beginning of God, John's Gospel. It says that Jesus comes from the bosom of the Father. And so that intimacy with, that the disciple has with Jesus is also an intimacy with God. It's dependence, just like the branch is dependent on its fruit from the vine, which gains nourishment from the ground. That's, that's how we want to be in our prayer life with Jesus. A couple, um, let's see. I've got to cut this short a little bit. I always over-prepare before you can cut things. Um, another principle is, is prayer is about discerning and aligning my will to God's will. So we want to really make the prayer of the Our Father our own. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that could be another source of fruitful prayer. Like, am I bringing, in a reflection, am I bringing too much of my will to prayer, what I want the Lord to do, or am I open and receptive to what the Lord wants to give me and bring to me in prayer? And ultimately, I submit we're happier when we submit to the Lord's will for our life because he knows us better than ourselves. 
St. Augustine has this great image um, in the Confessions where he talks about how, how is it that I can know about the mountains and the way the streams and, 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 and uh, various living things work, but I know so little about myself. Uh, the novelist Walker Percy kind of updates this. How can I know about quasars and pulsars and things in the in the atmosphere in the in the, in the solar system that I don't seemingly I know more about them than I know about myself? But the Lord knows us, right? The Lord knows us even when we struggle to grasp our own motivations and intentions and so forth. And so when we align our will, we really receive ourselves from the Lord. I think this is the last, I'll give two more, the, the, probably the most important thing that really stood to me at the heart of what allowed for a dramatic change in my life. And that is, we need to give God consent to work in our lives. There's, there's just something about the way the Lord has chosen to work in our lives is that he desires our cooperation and consent. And there's a great image um, from C.S. Lewis's book about the afterlife, The Great Divorce. It's a short book. I encourage you to read it. And at one point in the, in the, the book, there's this guy, he's going through these various states, he's encountering these people. It's not quite like stages of, of, of heaven. And the, the lizard is obnoxious, and he's constantly chirping in the guy's ear. And when the, the guy, the ghost, goes into, he's always kind of, in the, in the polite company, he's always trying to get the lizard to shut up because it embarrasses him. And he encounters an angel. And initially he, he thinks that the angel can shut the ghost up. But the angel makes it very clear, very quickly, that he wants to kill the lizard. Like, oh, guys, the ghost is saying, no, 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 I just, I just wanted to shut up. Like, and the thing's chirping in his ear. Like, you don't want to kill me. I'm not that bad. And in the course of this dialogue, there's this great line where um, the angel keeps asking, may I kill it? May I kill it? And the guy says, um, the, the ghost says, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt me. And the, the angel says, I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said I wouldn't kill, it wouldn't kill you if I killed a lizard. So Lewis is kind of capturing this, this like, sometimes the Lord's work in us when he purifies us, just like when the Father prunes the branches. Pruning's not fun, right? I mean, if the, if the, the branches could talk, they probably wouldn't enjoy the experience of being pruned. And it's, it's often not fun to be pruned. It's gonna hurt, but it's for our best. So finally the ghost relents and allows the angel to, to kill the lizard. And the, the man begins to take on flesh as the lizard leaves him. Because he's now full. He's got the, the sin of lust purified. And the, the, the lizard actually turns into a stallion and gallops away. Because lust is so close to love. It just needs to be purified. And so often it's a great image to think about, like, what in our life do I need to get the consent, consent to the Lord to kill? That might hurt us, and that's what we're often scared of. The Lord's purifying fire might hurt me, but, it, but it's always good, right? As another C.S. Lewis story, right? Aslan is anything but a tame lion, but he's good. So we want, to, we want to give the Lord consent to act in our lives, in every moment of our lives. And that relates back to that intimacy and that trust with the Lord.
And the last and probably, again, most, I, I mentioned this already, but allow the scriptures to fuel your prayer. That's the gasoline you're pouring on the fire of your prayer. As I mentioned, just get to know Jesus in the way he, he speaks and acts in the Gospels, and then you'll begin to recognize more and more how he be. It's just like getting to know a friend. The, the, the analogy I always give to my students is when I was a kid, one of the houses we lived in was this old uh, 1920s house with wood floors, and every, it was a long hallway that kind of teed into another long hallway, and my, my bedroom was on the very end of the hall. And by, it didn't take long for me to figure out who was coming up the stairs and exactly where they were in the stairs because I, I can figure out the sound of the, the footsteps and the creaking. It was so familiar. Oh, that's Dad. I better hide the Walkman. That was cool back then. Or, or uh, <clears throat> that's just my younger brother, my younger sister, and they're going to peel off you know, at their bedroom and so forth so I can continue to do what it is I'm doing. And that's for nefarious purposes, right? But we want to be so intimate and close to the Lord that we know his footsteps coming down the hall toward us. And the Gospels are the surest way to do that. The whole scriptures, but the Gospels primarily. Let me just close with this. And this is just some counsel, some don'ts. Um, for things to be careful of. So I, I would encourage you not to get overwhelmed with picking too many devotionals or too many approaches to prayer. Um, in the, in the, when we teach doctrine, we talk about a hierarchy of, or analogy of truth. Is the Trinity is the most important thing, and then we kind of work our way down. So if, if I only have five minutes with somebody, and I have to tell them about Christianity, I'm going to share the gospel with them, the, the charisma, the kernel of the gospel. And then if I have a little bit more time, I might kind of move out in sequence. Moving down to the, the not the least important, but the least maybe essential or, le or the most, but it's not core to our Christian faith. So we get, I'm stealing this from the Dominican uh, preaching of Father Gregory Pine. He, he, he uses this analogy for our, our prayer. So if we don't have time to spend you know, three hours a day in prayer, what should we do? What should we start with? And so start with what the church does. So start with going to Mass. And, and really trying to enter into the Mass. Um, the second thing, if you have a little bit more time, is read the Scriptures. And then if you have a little bit more time, we could kind of pick up you know, the order after this. You might want to pray the Rosary, because the Rosary takes us through the life of Christ. And if we got a little more time, we can we can talk about adding more devotions. I would I would probably argue mental prayer, 15 to 20 minutes of mental prayer, or at least my challenge is spend five more minutes than what you're doing now. If you're not spending any time. Do five. You do the daily scripture from the mass. So if I don't make it to, to mass, I read this. I, I always read the daily scripture. It's the thing I'm absolutely make sure of. No matter what goes on in the chaos of my life, what has happening that day. I at least know my life is rooted in the scripture. And if I can't get to Mass, I get to Mass too. And then if I have a little more time, then I do my, my, my block of prayer time, and then so on. So, so we don't want to get tied down in, in the plethora of options that are out there. They're all, they're, they're good. There's a reason the church has them. 
but it can be overwhelming. And um, it, there's a great video. If you, if you look up, um, I'll leave you with this. Matt Fratt did an interview with this pre priest, Father Greg Pine. And Father Greg, who uh, went to college with my wife, who's was, was a friend, um, he takes us through, he takes you through like how to kind of think through that hierarchy, if you will, of how I devote my part of life. So I'll leave you with that. 